Welcome to Sparks of History. We are honored and pleased to have with us today Dr. Richard Joel, President Emeritus of Yeshiva University, having served as the fourth president of YU from 2003 to 2017. Uh, previously, President Joel held the position of President and International Director of Hillel from 1989 to 2003. And currently, Dr. Joel is Bravman Family University Professor, teaching leadership courses across Yeshiva University. Uh, President Joel, thank you so much for being with us today. We appreciate it very much. It's my pleasure. Um, certainly, university and college campuses have been in the forefront of the news recently. Can you just, as starters, take us through with what exactly is this D, E, and I, and how has it gained traction in American colleges? Well, in, in some ways, I mean, uh, uh, DEI is not something that uh, <clears throat> is always coming off of our lips, but it's a circumstance. This is, I think, the next step in an attempt by society in general to, um, the good end of it is to make sure no one's left behind. Uh, the bad end of it is to come up with all kinds of notions as to what that means. So DEI simply means diversity, uh, equity, and inclusion. And I would tell you that it first grew not as a process of campus activism, but in the corporate sector, as corporations were trying to make sure um, that they were uh, in compliance with all the needs of uh, of equity. So it was about uh, starting with a lot of diversity training and making sure that there wasn't um, um, uh, all kinds of um, harassment in the workplace and the like. Uh, it also comes as part of, I mean, you have diversity, which means it's a value in and of itself to make sure that every different group uh, is a part of the whole. Uh, one which we would call a laudable um, you know, a laudable uh, uh, aspiration, but I was looking actually in preparing at the, the university, one of the universities, let me not libel any place, um, but, but it said that they want to make sure that everybody has their, um, their, their place and is honored based on race, gender, faith, height, weight, so, I mean, there's no end to how you build this, uh, uh, this, cult this, this coalition, but the diversity is everybody should be different. Equity means that, that the inequities should be redressed. Historic inequities should be redressed. So to my way of thinking, there's a critical difference between talking about equity and talking about equality. Now, we used to not have DEI, we used to have liberty and justice for all, and we thought that that would do it. In point of fact, it's not enough. Because when there are societal features, when there's systemic hatreds or systemic racism, it requires something else. And I think this is an attempt uh, to do it, but it becomes its own monster. So when you're talking about equity, there's not seen to be a lot of need for Jews to have equity because... You know, not only are they part of the white majority, we, uh, according to many people, we run the white majority. So equity doesn't apply to us. And then uh, the last is inclusion. And inclusion is a, 
an interesting notion that everybody has to fit in. Uh, Alan Dershowitz says that one of the terrible things about inclusion is it meant that a whole array of separatist studies developed from African-American studies to Jewish studies to um, so that everything became balkanized instead of together. You know, I, I would point out there was a classic view. I think it's a little bit of a sad time. There was a classic idea of a university. John Macefield wrote after the war that the special thing about a university is it's a safe place for endless discussion of thing, themes that are endless. Well, that, that doesn't get a lot of traction these days. Um, university is a safe place for ideas, is spoken about, but the implementation of it doesn't make it safe. Um, and free speech, which we are all committed to, even if, it's in, even if it's uncomfortable for us, free speech should not be a weapon. And it's become weaponized. So all of that comes together to create, oh, oh, and of course, the most important thing is over the last several years, universities and businesses, but let's focus on universities, have built their own institutionalized bureaucracies of DEI offices. So it's not just um, harassment training in a human resources department. There's a lot of money spent on departments of diversity, equity, and inclusion who come with their own, uh, naturally, political baggage. And this becomes a big headline. I, I believe that, that, that diversity, equity, and inclusion are important conditions of life. They're not the goal in life. It's to create an environment so that we can pursue value. And to some degree, with a lot of help from social media, um, it's taken on a life of its own. What's the connection, if there is one, of this, let's call it, for lack of a better word, entrenched DEI um, bureaucracy and anti-Semitism on college campuses. Is there a connection? Well, I'm, I'm one of the incredible wise people who around 1995, uh, on, uh, when I was at Hillel, I really believed that somehow society had defeated anti-Semitism, that it was a thing of the past to be consigned to history lessons. Um, uh, I confess my sin today. I didn't realize that somehow, and we can explore it, but not, there is a, an entrenched and lingering sense of Esav Soneus Yaakov, that Esav hates Jacob, that the Jew is the other. It's even in our name as Hebrews means we are Ivrim, we are from the other side, we are the Nats. And despite all of the Enlightenment's efforts for the Jews to, to melt into the melting pot, um, society doesn't let that happen. And so anti-Semitism has existed in different guises for generations. Uh, the late uh, blessed Rabbi Jonathan Sachs talked about how, how anti-Zionism had in fact become a new face of anti-Semitism. But at the bottom line, and, and by the way, we should we can look at ourselves as well to say, you know, uh, uh, why, why do they hate us? Um, but uh, my late friend and leader, um, in Hillel, Edgar Bronfman Sr. once said that Jews don't make anti-Semites. Anti-Semites make anti-Semites. Um, 
So, and, and was anti-Semitism on campus? One more caveat, if I will. There's not a great society out there, and then there's this hellhole called campus. And campus is a part of society. In some ways, we have to be careful because you know that ideas come from campus and influence society. But I think we're also living at a time where campus is a reflection of society and societal norms. When I was at Hillel, there was Palestinian activism. Of course, it was the time of the Oslo Accords, and then it was the time of the Intifada. And the second Intifada, right, where, where you know, there was activism that didn't verbalize it. Look, on, on the Israeli side, there were strong forces that didn't believe in two states for two people, right? On the uh, Palestinian side, uh, there was clearly a large undercurrent that no matter what they said really meant that the peace that they want is spelled P-I-E-C-E -E and not P-E-A-C-E, -E, that they want a peace here and a peace there. And there's never been acceptance of the legitimacy of a Jewish state, and then it feeds on itself. Uh, the anti-Semitism uh, has all kinds of roots, but uh, but it's evil in all of them. And, um, and there have been so many new isms that, um, that people say, get out of the way, Jews. Uh, you know, you're talking about being oppressed. Not only are you not oppressed, but you control things. And uh, not only is Israel not an oppressed state, it's an oppressive state. And um, uh, now, when you talk about anti-Semitism, you have to say, well, why is it that everyone is concerned with the plight of the oppressed Palestinians and not the plight of the oppressed Uyghurs or the people in Sudan or the Roman Catholics in Northern Ireland or the what we call indigenous people in the United States. And um, it's hard to come up with a reason as to why, why Israel and anti-Semitism is the flavor of the month. Um, we talk about it on campus more because campus is basically a small community, no matter how large it is. We're forced to be together. We're not forced to be together in larger society. We're forced to be together and we're put in environments where being polite is not the highest um, um, tribute that you can give. And, uh, and certainly there are faculty who misuse their pulpit of the classroom to spew their own visions of reality, by the way, on all sides. You know, we had when I, again, at Hillel, uh, there was a period of time where Holocaust deniers got the idea that the best way for them to do their business was to go to campus and to buy full-page ads in campus newspapers saying that the Holocaust never happened. And the Jewish community um, went, a little, I think the word is bananas, um, saying, what are we going to do? How do we protest to the, uh, the school newspapers saying, don't run such ads? Uh, the more liberal element said, well, wait a minute, let them run it, because sunshine is the best disinfectant, and we can confront it full on. And there were great debates about it. Uh, however, there was no question that if campus newspapers were given money and asked to print ads saying that uh, African-Americans or Africans came to the United States on cruise ships, not on slave ships, it would have been a different tenor. So a little bit we're victims of our own liberalism. If, if, if we say, as, as you said before, that um, a root of anti-Semitism is this concept of 
Esav, it's called the non-Jew, hates Yaakov, Jacob, then why all of the education and efforts to stem anti-Semitism? It's obvious that we need to, but if that is an ironclad rule that, you know, that, that there was, you know, it was said on one of the podcasts recently that really what you have is you got 20% who hate us, Jews, Israel, whatever, 20% that love us, and everyone else is in the middle, and what do they know? They don't know, they, you know, they they they, they could be changed, they, they're ignorant, they don't even think about the topic. Well, look, two things. Number one, I think anti-Semitism is a condition not an absolute. It's a circumstance that we live in. Remember, there's been 2,000 years of anti-Semitism, 2,000 years when we've been reviled as Christ killers, 2,000 years when uh, Jews were the money lenders. Uh, uh, even as we were active in the civil rights movement in the United States, um, uh, when the school started blowing up, most of the teachers were Jewish. Um, when you lived in the ghetto, a disproportionate number of our uh, of the landlords um, recognizably might have been Jewish. So there were lots of reasons for for pulling apart. And then, of course, there was jealousy, a disproportionate number of Nobel laureates or Jews. The, the, the ability of the Jew through their identity and education to pull themselves up by their bootstraps right, was also not necessarily a cause for celebration. Um, so I think, I think a lot of that is true. I also think that, at least in the United States, um, the biggest en enemy that I think the Jews have is the Jews. It's it's a, it's an assimilation that's rooted in ignorance. That so many Jews don't know who they are, or they're under celebrated and under educated and under experienced, and that remains a challenge that we keep engaging in. Um, I do think that Holocaust is history now, and it's very important to keep educating people, to reminding people, um, Jews and non-Jews, um, of, of a story of oppression so beyond the ken that it's not one of many Holocausts, but it was the Holocaust. And I think that's a lot of the resonance of October 7th in terms it was it wasn't technologically as expert as the Nazis did, but it clearly was a barefaced attempt to kill and maim and murder and terrorize. And, and the world, for about an hour, stopped and, 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 and thought about that. And then everything gets complex. One last thing in terms of, well, maybe it's not last, but one last thing in terms of the campus and community. The, the impact that the social media has had on everything. Um, if you're a university president now, you are in the eye of an incredible storm of differing constituencies, opinions, needs, wants. And if you're trying to see how you negotiate all of it, you'll be consumed. On the other hand, if you take a strong stand, you don't avoid the controversy either. And whereas we used to be concerned about combating negative journalism, journalism is, is very small now. What you're dealing with is unbridled hatred and fiction and statements and reactions that have a life of their own, uh, that the people hear things based on the 
um, I'm forgetting the word on the uh, um, on the uh, on the scientific uh, nuances, so that your particular website gets what you are pre-inclined to want to hear, and it makes it exceedingly difficult to function. Also, the two words that have really become four-letter words, at least in the United States and certainly on campus, is complexity and nuance. No one has patience. To me, the beauty of modern orthodoxy and Judaism is the Maimonidean notion of, of synthesis, that, there are, that there's a middle way, that there is not just compromise on everything, but, but celebrate the nuance, understand the complexity, understand the other person's complexity. But, but there's no time for that now. It has to be a slogan. It has to be an X or a tweet. And um, and that's incredibly dangerous. Um, how many people here are, are, are screaming about from the river to the sea and they don't know what the river is and they don't know what the sea is? Jewish history goes back to, uh, to maybe, maybe 1993. Right. I don't assuming, mean to be ranting, excuse me. Assuming that one, for whatever reason, is not a donor to Yeshiva University. And assuming for whatever reason, one does not encourage their child to attend a Yeshiva University school. Should American Jews boycott universities? Should donors boycott universities such as Harvard today? Should Jewish students not be encouraged by their parents or others in the Jewish community to attend Harvard? Well, look, boycott's a, a dangerous word um, all around, uh, but I think it's time to wake up. Yes, I think the first thing to wake up to, and by the way, Yeshiva University is the best university in the history of the universe, but on an undergraduate level, it's intended for students who are observant, who are, who are day school educated or want to be, um, to go and get a seamless education uh, of Torah Umada that synthesizes um, Torah and through the eyes of Torah embraces ideas and humankind and that we're supposed to partner with God and with people of goodwill to advance civilization. And, and, and I think we do a, a fine job in inculcating that in our students. There aren't many observant young people in the United States where maybe 10% of the Jews in the United States. So, and of that, too many, I believe far too many um, parents don't have the conversation about, let's go to Yeshiva University. You get into the best graduate and professional schools. You have the best friends in the world. You prepare yourself in a worldly way to remember timelessness. Um, so there is one issue to say, why do you want to send your kids to Locust Drive, Locust Walk in, in Penn? Why do you want your kids to be in Harvard Yard? We offer you 185th Street and Amsterdam Avenue. But there's a pedestrian mall there. So, so yes, I do think that parents have to reassess and students what they want out of their education. And if Yiddishkeit, if Jewishness is at the center, not exclusive, but is the main value, so go to a place that's safe, where there's a critical mass of students different than you, but like you, that don't keep you in a, in a, in a convent or a monastery, um, but give you uh, what people call a protective bubble, but it's a porous bubble. So, look, that's the case for Yeshiva University. 
Most Jews are not going to consider yeshiva university and probably shouldn't. And universities are too important to be given up on. However, we'll take the donor class because it's easier. Right? If you're a donor, you are investing of yourself and you want to get the right return on the investment. If you're going to invest in an institution that frankly gives you a return on your investment that is against your interest, why are you doing it? To make the image of your grandparents happy? And the Jews have done that now for, uh, for an endless amount of time. I've had many people who've almost been donors of significance at yeshiva, and all of a sudden, instead, you see the multi-million dollar gift going to Harvard or going to Penn or going to MIT. They're entitled to do that, and they should get their full value out of it. But I, don't but I do think that people are right in saying, what am I giving this to? I don't think donors should dominate policy, but donors should make sure that what they're investing is is consistent with their values. As far as students, I would tell you there hasn't been an incredibly um, horrible change on most campuses. Mo the average student, Jewish student, is not going to walk through campus and have an anti-Semitic uh, epithet hurled at him. But it's much more present than it was. Um, the the uh, activism is much more vituperative. Jews are much more likely to be left out of a liberal coalition. There is more of a sense of being targeted. And some of that's in the classroom as well. And that, and that shouldn't be. Therefore, I always counsel parents and students to think carefully about what they want out of college and to find places that have important communities. I will brag to you about Hillel as an important community within a community. I mean, nobody's going to go to a school that's majority Jewish. So if your Jewishness counts for you, you need to have a community, whether it's Chabad or whether it's a Hillel or whether it's any other thing, that you have meaningful friends who are Jewish, that you make a list of non-negotiables before you go to college. Every parent should be speaking to a Hillel director on a particular campus. They should be looking to think if there's an adjacent Jewish community that's strong, or if you're in Ithaca, New York, right, or Binghamton, New York. Um, and, and I think uh, there is a need uh, for us to continue to offer services to students there, but I think it starts long before campus. It's about how you feel about your Jewishness and how do you continue to invest in that Jewishness. Um, one of the observations that's been made here in Israel during during the war is that would the young generation, the TikTok social media X, I can't even remember all the all, all the things um, here in Israel, would they be able to rise to the occasion during a war or was it a soft generation? And the observation has been that it's just been remarkable. You know the 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 what's happened here in in the IDF and with the young people and the, obviously all the tragedies, but it's been a re remarkable. People just are surprised in many ways. I don't know why they should be, but they are surprised. How do you see the next generation of Jewish students? Number one, from Yeshiva University, and and in general, are you optimistic, pessimistic, or somewhere in between? Well, I'm optimistic because I think anything else is 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 uh, an act of defeat. And I'm optimistic because I believe in God and I believe in the Jewish people and I believe in the power of humankind to to uh, 
to bring light out of darkness. We do a lot of creating chaos, but there's also light out of darkness. Um, I do believe the issue is not of being soft. I think the issue is of what values you have. I think what happened in Israel was a very important nace. It was God reminding us uh, that we are a people. Uh, it might also be God reminding us that a, a history of sinat chinam, of baseless hatred, doesn't work out well for the Jews. And, and we should heed that. I think if you look at the wonderful Israelis we've been speaking about, or we've been listening to the last couple of months, it's been wonderful because you see every kind of Israeli, except the ones we're talking about are all Jews, and they acknowledge their Jewishness. My big concern is beyond nationalism, what will the Jewishness of their children be? And it's the same issue that you have in the diaspora, except you have all the realities of being in the Jewish homeland that we work with. I think the answer as to what the future is going to be is up to us. Um, I don't think anti-Semitism has ever been a cure for the lack of identity. And I think these days, there are many young Jews, if confronted with anti-Semitism, will say, okay, who the heck needs it? Who needs the Jewishness? So I think uh, look, I, I and several other people joined with the people like Michael Steinhardt uh, at the end of the last millennium uh, to start what we thought would be the most effective Israel program on campus, uh, which is to take them to Israel, which is birthright. And I would tell you, it has been. It's been the best institution since the creation of the Bar Mitzvah. Right? But nothing is a, is a cure-all. And the question always is, once you, you reignite a sense of Jewish belonging and passion, which a visit to Israel uh, can do as kind of the Jews' Disneyland, um, do we follow up on that? Uh, I will tell you that the average young Jew in the United States is getting less of an education than they got 30 years ago at Jewishness. And I think there are lots of attempts at different kind of niche experiments at building Jewishness, and some of them are quite effective. But, uh, but there's reason for concern um, about not making it more. And there's reason for concern for the Jewish summer camp um, uh, experience not growing exponentially. Uh, there's reason for concern for community day schools uh, not building themselves, for the liberal movements um, uh, losing members of their congregations, not gaining them. They should be gaining them. Um, but you know what? We are still a very strong community in the United States. The community of federations are strong, assertive, and open to different kinds of futures. Um, young Jews at Yeshiva University... I think they're better than ever. I think that that we generally say Jews can take on any flavor they want, but but we want them to believe that they have an important role in the world and that there's goodness in the world. And we're not supposed to be bystanders to history. I think you look at the number, the thousands of graduates of Yeshiva University who have made Aliyah, who are living in Israel. You look at the number of the graduates of Yeshiva University who are not only um, leading our day schools and yeshivot and community agencies, but also moving forward in the, in the arts and sciences, such as happens today because it's a bad time uh, for the arts, but Jewish scientists and Jewish um, uh, uh, thinkers uh, and, um, and business people. And I think what we have to work at is making sure that they remember to be whole. Again, uh, this has been fascinating and um, 
Thank you again so much, President uh, Joel, for, for your time today and for your insights. And uh, you should continue to go from strength to strength, from child to child. And uh, thank you, thank thank you, you I, so much. I, I go from child to child and from grandchild to grandchildren. That's the best. So, that, uh, that's the best. <laughs> okay, thank and you. Keep doing your very important work. Knowledge, thank you. knowledge is light. Thank you.